So, did you have a Merry Christmas? Are you kidding me? That was the best Christmas ever. Really? Babe, I had a smile on my face from the moment I woke up. They like their presents, right? Dana loves her playhouse. <laughs> you weren't up too late building it, were you? Hmm. <laughs> oh, it was a breeze. My family didn't ruin your day, did they? No. I love that we hosted this year. Mary, traffic was awful. Three hours. Whoa, you can't wait. <laughs> you sure? Honestly, babe, they made my day. you to host this with the most is taking care of everybody. How do you do it? I guess I was just full of Christmas cheer. Why don't you <laughs> well, I had a perfect day. Me too. I mean, this is going to sound corny, but I don't know if it was you and the kids or the family being here. But I definitely felt some Christmas magic today. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Come on, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Best Christmas ever? <laughs> Best Christmas ever. Good morning, Hope Ames. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here, and I hope I'm still a pastor here after showing that clip and that you don't... <laughs> asked for me to get fired. I did get approval from that from my boss, who's also my dad. Um, and whenever I see that clip, it cracks me up because as Matt Damon shows his bear claw slippers, I'm reminded of when I was in third grade and my siblings like came together and we thought that we got our dad the best gift ever and it was bear claw slippers. <laughs> and I realized he wore those every single night, not because he liked them, but because he was just trying to be nice to us. And I thought that was very sweet. We're into a new series. It's called A Closer Look. <clears throat> excuse me, a closer look at Christmas. Now, we're not to Christmas yet, but what would it take for you to have the best Christmas ever this year? I thought that this was really interesting. I read a study that said the most stressful month of the year across the country is December, the time of year when we're supposed to be really excited and really jolly and really happy and bells are ringing and smiles are just being shared from face to face. When I was in high school, I worked at Shields All Sports, and this was by far the worst time of year. One day, I was checking out a family, and this family was pretty stressed, and I was trying to strike up conversation. I was that annoying cashier to where I really didn't care if you signed up for the Shields visa. What I really wanted was just to have a conversation with somebody because I was bored to death pushing buttons all day. And as people are coming through my line, I'm trying to talk to them about what they're doing the rest of the day. This one family comes through, and this woman looks at me, she says, I don't have time for your conversation. And I was like, ow! And then her kids start screaming, and her husband's trying to gather them together, and I understood why she was probably having a hard time. This can be a chaotic time of year, too. But in this series, it is a closer look at Christmas. We're trying to get into, like, what's the real meaning of it? Like, we're not there yet. We're going to get there but, but we're not there yet. You see, this is Advent. I had you say this word last week. Say it again. Advent. Advent, Advent as you've been hearing uh, last week, this week already, it, it literally means arrival. And specifically, it means the arrival of something significant. 
And for a lot of us, we think that Christmas would be significant. It would be something worth waiting for if these things that were in the way, maybe some problems, the stress, would just get out of the way and then Christmas would be here and we could smile and kids could open the presents and we'd get through the turkey dinner and then we'd wake up the next day and make a New Year's resolution about how we're never going to handle Christmas like that again. And then next year will happen and you'll scream at your cashier at Shields again. <laughs> what would it take... In this season of Advent, as we're awaiting the arrival of something significant, I don't really want to slam through it. What if instead we were patient? What if we walked slowly? It's hard for us. It's hard for us in the church, too. See, a long time ago, people were awaiting the arrival of someone significant. We were awaiting the arrival of Jesus' return, but once upon a time, they were awaiting the arrival of Jesus' first coming. God said this through the prophet Micah. You heard this in the reading from today. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. And that sounds really beautiful and amazing. You heard Carrie read this earlier today. This is in Isaiah chapter 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. We're like, yes, that would be the best ever. It would be amazing. And in the Christian circles, oftentimes what we do, especially this time of year, is we go from those prophecies very quickly about the arrival of somebody significant, and we immediately hop into Christmas. Luke chapter 2, this is what it says. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the angel says to the shepherds. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. We're like, they prophesied it, and Jesus showed up, and there it was. The wait was over. But they knew a thing or two about having to go slow. Those shepherds who heard the proclamation of Jesus' birth were not around when those prophecies were originally prophesied. Instead, here's the setting in the book of Micah. So in the book of Micah, we can see three different themes that are showing up very, very clearly. The first one is there's corruption. In chapter 2, it says you cheat on a man of his property, stealing from his family's inheritance. We see wealthy people ripping off poor people. We even see religious leaders. We even see prophets who say, I'm not going to prophesy unless you give me a little change. You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine if we did that? Well, it'd be corrupt. And that's the kind of life that they were living. There's destruction that's coming because of the corruption. It says, this is no longer your land and home, for you have filled it with sin and ruined it completely. Imagine if you came home after a church today and you saw someone vandalizing your house or wherever you live. You would say, you don't belong here anymore. My wife and I, we have a dog. Every now and then he vandalizes it. And every single time I'm tempted to say, you don't belong here anymore. And he looks at me and I, and I, 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 I feel this sadness for him. And... Go with me. That's kind of how God feels with his people because then there's grief. You see, what's God really mad at? When we fall into corruption and when we end up in destruction, God doesn't point his finger at us. God doesn't say you're the problem. He said, you've had problems. You're carrying problems. I will mourn and lament. I will walk around barefoot and naked for my people's wound is too deep to heal. They had a lot of things that they were going to have to get out of the way to get to that best Christmas ever. And it took a while. But God promises them this hope. There is corruption. There is destruction. There is grief. But God says, someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant of who are left. 
I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The Lord himself will guide you. And you can pick up on some of these themes. You know what the Bible is pointing toward. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who lays down my life for my flock. God is providing this hope. But the people who heard these prophecies and heard about this hope and were awaiting the arrival of somebody significant, it took forever seemingly for it to happen. In fact, for Isaiah and Micah, they would never see it. 700 years after they lived came the arrival of Jesus. The last prophecies that we read about in the Old Testament from Malachi, there were 400 years between Malachi's prophecies and Jesus. That means there were 400 years of silence. God's people are just waiting. How much longer do I have to wait? Don't you, mean that, don't you know that Advent means arrival? And there are some arrivals we just can't totally predict. We have to trust God with it. Isn't it interesting how we can read these stories of Scripture? And even though a lot of them, they happened so long ago, we find ourselves in these stories. Because the one they were waiting on is the one that we're waiting on. They were waiting on him in a different way. We're waiting on him in a new way. In Revelation chapter 21, it tells us what we are awaiting. All those things that are standing between us and whatever might be best in our life, God says he has a solution for that. He will wipe away every tear. This is talking about the end of everything, which will really be the beginning of everything new and everything right. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Those things that hurt you, those things that were so sad and they were true, they're going to come untrue. If I'm going to borrow a line from J.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. The sad things are going to come untrue. And yet, we read that and we have hope, if you're a Christian, if you believe that these things are really going to happen. But sometimes we're just left saying, I can't wait. I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait for the stress to go away. I can't wait for the problems to disappear. I can't wait. I read something really interesting this week. The phrase, I can't wait, when it's used in a figurative way. Was not, start, was not used until around the 1930s. It's like we've become more and more impatient. God promises us, just like he promised them in the book of Micah, this is Micah chapter 7, you will, sh you will show your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors Abraham and Jacob long ago. So what does this tell us? If you are in a place today where you're really having a hard time struggling to trust God, that his promises are going to come true. Do what Micah commanded for his people to do. Remember who your God is. God has a character. And his character is always faithful. He is always perfect. He is always good. And what was true about God is true about God. And always will be true about God. If God was faithful to you before, and he was, he will be faithful to you again. He will be faithful to your children and your children's children and their children's children for generations and generations to come. You may not see the results of God's faithfulness right here, right now in this lifetime, but you can be assured that what was true about God is true about God. I know, it takes patience. Every now and then I like to joke with people, patience is a virtue that I don't have time for. 
Do you, do you have time for patience? We, we struggle with this, don't we? We have a really hard time with patience these days. You ever sat in an airport? See how jittery and frustrated people are? I mean, my goodness, we have all these conveniences in airports to make things go faster. We have moving walkways. And you ever notice when you're on the moving walkway and someone's not moving on the moving walkway, you get really frustrated. You're like, come on, don't you see? There's two lanes, there's walk, and there's stand. You're standing and you're storing your bag in my way. We get so frustrated about it. Then you get on the plane and it might be delayed 40 minutes. You know who would be really happy about a 40-minute delay? The Wright brothers. It took them four years to fly for 12 seconds, right? But we don't have patience for it. We say, oh, I'm so tired. It's been such a long day of traveling. I was in a tube, and it transported me across the country. I'm so wiped out. I never want to do that again. It took forever. We get frustrated. I have to fly four hours to get from St. Louis to Portland. Did you ever play the Oregon Trail? It took six months if you didn't get bitten by a rattlesnake. Oh, but we don't have patience. Like our cell phones, right? I can't believe this text that's going to the other side of the world isn't going through yet. It's been like 0.5 seconds. Come on. It's going to outer space. <laughs> Give it a second, right? Like, we struggle with this. We have a hard time. Now, I say that in a funny way, but it points to something deeper, right? Like when you're sitting on that tarmac and you're waiting like, okay, is the plane ever going to take off? Like that doubt becomes more and more real. Are, are we ever going to take off? Is this ever going to happen? What is it in your life that you're starting to wonder, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? There were things you used to be so sure about, and now you're not. You were pretty sure that by now you'd have that relationship figured out. Now you don't. You were pretty sure your family was going to get along by now, but now you're not. You're pretty positive you're going to be a parent by now, but now you don't know. You're pretty sure you're going to get that promotion by now, but now it doesn't seem possible. You're pretty sure that mentally you're going to be able to handle things the way that you always thought you should be able to, but now you're feeling pretty hopeless. You always thought that your family member would heal from their sickness, and now you just don't know if it's going to happen. Is it ever going to happen? See, Christmas season, sometimes, when we do it the wrong way, it's when we jump into Christmas season and we skip Advent season, right? It's waiting. It's enduring. It's walking through the wilderness. There's a word in the Bible for wilderness. It's midbar. Go ahead and say midbar. Midbar has a root word called debar. Everyone say debar. Midbar means wilderness and debar means word. In the wilderness, when we're wandering, it's not wasted. In the wilderness, when the cell phone connection is gone and all the other voices are quiet, sometimes that's where we hear God's voice. Maybe December is so stressful because we're just numbing ourselves. We're just telling ourselves the lies that the world has told itself for so long. We could fix it. I'll figure it out. I'll eventually get to that place where I want to get on my own. I'm going to do it. And I'm so sick and tired of living that lie. I do it. 
I'm so sick and tired of singing along with, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones. Like, I mean, look, beautiful, lovely, well-intended song, and it is baloney, isn't it? Now, don't take it from me. I want you to take it from somebody who actually was on the record for this. This is Bob Dylan singing this song. You can go ahead and play it while I continue to talk. So this clip came out recently, and this is Bob Dylan trying to sing along as they're recording it. I saw one meme that said, this is when you finally realize you're the one singing off tune and everyone is singing in tune. I can relate to that. But he looks uncomfortable, he looks out of place, and he looks frustrated. Now, there's not an actual quote that was in print on this because I think it was supposed to remain confidential, but years later, reporters started to say that allegedly his explanation for why he looked so uncomfortable during the recording of that song is because he did not believe it was true. He didn't think that humanity could save itself. I don't want to live in this lie that says we can just fix all of our problems. If we could have fixed all of our problems, wouldn't we have done it by now in the thousands of years of modern history that we have? Eventually, wouldn't some government system, wouldn't some school of thought have it figured out by now? And I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative this morning, but the truth is life can be hard. And if we're going to ignore that, we're just numbing ourselves. We're distancing ourselves from the real truth about this world. I don't want to depend on myself because it's not true. I can't. I don't want to just depend on this world because I realize when I look at this world, it's just as broken as I am. It's a harsh reality that we have to live into, that we have to admit. Shakespeare wrote in Macbeth, every new morn there's a new sorrow. For some people, while there's great joys and excitements every single day, on the same moment, in the exact same time, there are life-shattering losses for somebody else in the world. And it can happen to any one of us, and it just starts to bother us. The more we think about it, oh my goodness, am I next? And maybe it's not a life-shattering loss. Maybe it's not something that's huge. But maybe over the average span of 80 years that a person gets, it's just these tiny little things that make you feel like you're walking ankle-deep through mud. The example that I always think about is when I was in seminary, my mom gave me an egg salad sandwich that I was going to take back up to Minnesota with me after visiting my parents in West Des Moines. And when I got to Minnesota, I stopped into my house uh, that I was living in up there, and then I got back into my car because I needed to get to class. And the problem is I brought the egg salad sandwich back out to the car with me, but, but I left it on top of my car. And I sped off, and I went to class, and I couldn't find the egg salad sandwich. And I knew... I knew that I had left it somewhere on the street. And it was something so small and something so meaningless, and yet it wrecked me in that moment. I don't know what the things were that led up to that spot where that was the needle, the, 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 hay, st- the hay that broke the camel's back, whatever that one is, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what it was, but there was something that must have led up to that where it's like just walking ankle deep through this. Eventually it gets to me, and it gets to us. And I remember telling my roommate Matt about it. I'm like, I can't believe what's happened to me today. Life can be hard, whether it's a life-shattering loss or just a small little thing. Is anything reliable? Is anything dependable? Is anything worth waiting for? The Bible points us to hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, it talks about this hope identifies this hope as Jesus. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. What's an anchor? What makes an anchor so great? 
What makes an anchor so great is that an anchor can go to a place where the boat cannot go, right? The anchor goes deep down into the waters and attaches to these, to these rocks that don't move at the bottom of a moving sea. And by attaching to those rocks, it is committed to the boat, and now the boat won't drift. An anchor goes to a place where we cannot or will not go, and an anchor keeps us from drifting because it's committed to us. It's attached. I think that the truth that the Bible's trying to remind us of in this is, yes, while life can be hard, once we are joined to Jesus, the anchor for our souls, he never lets us go. Once you are joined to Jesus, he will never let you go. Talking about baptism in the book of Romans, it says this, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Jesus has entered and gone into all the places that we cannot but also would not go. And he commits to us. Once he has you, he is never letting you go. Look, if a boat needs an anchor for its physical, for its physical navigation, for its physical ability to just stay still in the waters, how much more true is it for our souls to need an anchor? Spiritually speaking. I mean, just living through space, time, and history is like living in water. Everything's changing. The ancient philosopher Heraclitus put it this way, you cannot step into the same river twice, you cannot step into the same road twice. Both change inevitably. One is changing frequently and ragingly like the water. The other one is a road, and it's just erodes. Things change. And how unfortunately true is that, especially this time of year? How painful is that reminder? Time, the way that it moves, it's just like cruel sometimes, isn't it? Especially Christmas, because maybe you had this tradition with someone who's not going to be there this year. Maybe you just got through Thanksgiving and there was an empty seat. We never talk to somebody in the exact same way that we talked to them before. Time is just this cruel reminder that things keep on changing. In the grand scheme of the universe, in the grand scheme of the cosmic universe, in the grand scheme of all of spirituality, in the grand scheme of everything that's ever been created, are there rocks at the bottom of it? Something we could be connected to. Because an anchor is committed to us. Psalm chapter 103, I, I, I just... I, on weekends like this, where I'm preaching sermons like this that make me pretty uncomfortable because it makes me feel like, again, Mr. Downer, but it's also honesty... I take so much comfort in knowing that we get to talk about these things. Psalm 103 says, Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. The Bible is full of all these just real and honest, raw thoughts and expressions of the soul. Like God doesn't just allow us to explain our frustrations with this world. He actually gives us the script for them. And the very presence of those words in the Bible show us that God welcomes us no matter how it is we are speaking because he knows how we talk when we're freaking out, when we're drifting, when we don't have an anchor. God promises you, you have an anchor for your soul. And he is not going anywhere because right after this difficult thing that's just painful to utter out. 
This entire world is changing. This entire world is shifting. And I don't know which way to go. The psalmist follows it up by saying, but the love of the Lord remains forever. Salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. So let me say it again. What was true about God is true about God. He's not changing. At the bottom of the universe, there are rocks. Jesus has entered into time and space, meaning he can leave time and space. He can go places that we cannot or would not go. But because he was faithful to you once, he's faithful to you forever. Because what was true about him is true about him and always will be true about him. Do you think that it's you who's waiting on Jesus? Jesus, when are you going to show up? When are you going to fix all these problems in my life? When are you going to do away with them? I mean, come on, when is this relationship? When is this family going to be figured out? When am I going to finally live out my dreams as a parent? When am I going to finally get that promotion? When am I going to have my mental health in, in control? When am I going to finally see things the way that it's supposed to be? When is this world going to see me for the way that I am? Why is it that we yearn for something like that? Why is it that we yearn for that kind of security? I mean, if it's not actually out there, it would make no sense. Perhaps the reason why we yearn for something like that, the reason why we desire that kind of security, the reason why we desire that kind of stability, the reason why we don't want to drift like that is because we're made by someone who has that same desire for us. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I'm hungry and there's food. I'm curious and there are thoughts. My soul longs for this security. There must be it somewhere in the universe. It's found in the creator of the universe. See, you don't have to wait on Jesus. Maybe we'll have to wait for the full results of everything that he's working on, because he's still working. And still is a difficult word, because still provides hope. Oh, it's still happening, but still also reminds you that it hasn't happened yet. But Jesus did show up. God did come into this world. Those people who were waiting his arrival, he did show up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says that the fullness of God's divinity dwelled in the body of Christ. In that manger, there is Jesus. He's ready. He's there. We think that we're waiting on him, but 2 Peter tells us this. When we're waiting on Jesus to make absolutely everything right, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He's being patient for you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to repent. That word repentance is sometimes this taboo, taboo and gross word. And it's this big religious word that sometimes we try to leave in church, but it has this very simple and very beautiful meaning. It is simply to rethink your thinking. It's to turn around. And something that is so incredible about turning around and seeing God is that when we walk away from God, as we put it, we're walking and we're going, we're like, I don't know, maybe I've wandered too far from God this time. The moment you rethink your thinking, the moment that you turn around, you find that he's with you. The Psalms tell us there's not a place in heaven or hell, in life or death, that we could go where we would escape his presence. It is such a misleading thing to say, I walked away from God. You can't walk away from God. You might look away from him. Maybe you forget him. He hasn't forgotten you. Maybe you lost your love for him, but he would never lose his love for you. 
His love was true for you once. It is true for you now. It'll always be true for you. He's not being slow. He's being intentional. He's being effective. He's being patient, it says. This is my favorite word in the New Testament. Supamene. You go ahead and say that. Hupamene. Six months ago, I used this in a sermon. And before that, it had been two and a half years, but here I am again. It's a military term, which literally means to hyperstand. Meaning, if this general budges an inch, all hope would be lost for his entire nation. For all his people. I mean, it is this strength, it is this power to stand, to not, to not move, to not go anywhere. And yet it has this tender side to it. It's just patient waiting. I could do this all day. I'm not going anywhere. I'm strong enough to take it, but well, I could keep staying. This is what Jesus is doing for us. Jesus is waiting on us. That doesn't mean that Jesus is waiting on you to do his full work for this world. Jesus works according to his schedule. But in 2 Peter saying, he's being patient for us. Him waiting on us, him being patient for our sake is for our benefit. He's already perfect. He already has it all. He has everything that he could ever desire. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, what was it that he hyper stood for? What was it that he wouldn't budge an inch for? Let us run with endurance. Let's have that kind of endurance. And the word for endurance is also the word for patience. Let us run with that kind of hyper stance, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured, he hyper stood, he patiently waited on the cross disregarding its shame, the most shameful kind of death, the most shameful kind of disgrace before his community. He's told that he's a complete outcast. We're going to forget you. We're not waiting on you. You need to go away. You need to wither away like the grass. But when they told him to wither away like the grass and they throw him into the soil, they forgot. He's a seed. He planted. He rose. The Bible's clear about this. Once Jesus connects with you, once you are joined with him, he will never let you go. We've been joined in a death like his. Most certainly we will be joined in a resurrection like his. He hyperstands for you. He's not budging an inch. I mean, how great is this? How beautiful is this? I was listening to this story on public radio. There's also some documentary out about that, but I didn't hear it. But the lead reporter for the public radio story that I heard, I didn't see the TV documentary, I heard the, the radio uh, story. The reporter was talking about a day in the life of hospital workers. And the most jarring part of the story for me was when the reporter said it was this shocking moment when a patient had died and the staff is standing there and they go through their clipboard, they acknowledge that he died and then they had no other option but to continue to move on through the list in their day. The world forgets us quick. I, um, my sister's an occupational therapist, her husband's a doctor and um, I've spoken with them about that before and They've reminded me there are the hidden hallways of a hospital where there are the howling echoes of doctors, nurses, and specialist cries. 
But eventually it's true. They have no choice. They have to go back out. They have to help somebody new. Jesus will never leave your room. He will never leave your bedside. He's committed to you like an anchor. He is committed to you. He is not going anywhere. So as he waits on us to repent, and as we turn and we see our face, how do we wait on Jesus? When it feels like maybe it's never going to end the pain. Micah chapter 6, it tells us, this is what he requires of you. I don't know why that made me emotional. Do what is right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. It's so invitational. He's not asking you to figure everything out right in your life. Yeah, sometimes you got to wait on me. I know it's, it's not the easiest thing. Sometimes you feel like you can't wait. But you hyperstand. You, you wait patiently. Because hyperstanding in front of you, there he is. On the cross, outstretched arms, blocking you from any wave that could really hurt you. Most practically, here's the easiest way I can put it. How to wait, if I'm going to summarize Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Let God be God. Let God be God. Obey his commands, right? Do what is right. Let God be God. Let God decide what is right. I mean, my goodness, I remember being six or seven years old and demanding things from my parents. They're like, no, you can't. And I would be like, why? I need an explanation for this. I wasn't asking to actually obey them. I was asking for an agreement. I didn't need to know what was wrong. The only reason with, with what I was doing, the only reason was I was six and they were 35. Let God be God. The difference between a six-year-old to a 35-year-old is infinitely less significant than the difference between us and God. Let God be God. Cheer for others good. Cheer for that mercy. I'll just say this really quickly. Sometimes we have a misunderstanding of mercy. We think that God brings pain and then succumbing to his will, he relieves the pain. He says, that's mercy, right? Because we play that game like, say mercy. No, the world brings pain. God brings relief. God didn't create pain. God didn't create suffering. God is not crushing you. Jesus bore the weight of crushing sin on the cross. God brings relief to us. God brings grace to us. So when we receive that good, we cannot help it. We cheer for others' good. We don't cheer for their pain. We don't ask for God to damn them. We don't ask for God to do poor things to them. We ask for God to show them mercy, to show them grace, because it's been given to us. My goodness, if you pray these things for people, if you really cheer for these things for people, it'll actually change your relationship with that person. And then you just follow him. Follow him. Because this vulnerable baby lived a real life. took real first steps, said real first words, made real first friends, had real disappointments, had a real complicated family. You can read about in the Bible. They didn't believe in him. 
He suffered real betrayal. He experienced real joys, real success. And that baby, so sweet, so innocent, he died a real death. Patiently follow him from cradle to cross. Get to know how loving he always has been, how loving he always will be, because what was true is true and always will be true. We're going to move into a time of communion. You actually get to stand. You actually get to come forward. You actually get to follow. You actually get to receive through this gift that God gives us in communion. It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he gave thanks. He broke bread. He gave it to his disciples to eat. He said, take and eat. This is my body. It is given for you and for the forgiveness of sins. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Then again, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you and for the forgiveness of all sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. So when you stand up today and you walk down this aisle, please know you are not walking any closer to God than you've ever been before. You're just walking deeper into him because you could never walk away. He's waiting on you. Patiently waiting, hyperstanding for you. So when we come forward today, we're simply receiving him, walking deeper into his love, letting God be God, cheering for the good for others too, following him. Follow him. That's how we wait.